This is the Swampscott Library's Librarians by the Sea podcast, where we share our love of a good book with you. I'm your host, Julie Travers. Hi, how, how are, are you? you? Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Pleasure. So I just have a couple, you know, basic questions and we can just sure. see where it goes from there. But um, okay. so first, I just wanted to ask you if you could just talk a little bit about your career path and how you got into writing about food. Sure, sure. Uh, I started out being a, a straight news journalist um, and uh, mostly for a job. I started as a copy editor um, at the Kansas City uh, Star Times. I worked uh, the night schedule, which was for the morning paper. Um, so I worked 12 years uh, here, there, in, at the New York Times, and at the Boston Globe as a copy editor, working from 4 p.m. to 12.31, sometimes later, depending on what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually worked up to being an assistant managing editor for the Sunday paper. I had about 14 employees and um, and at that time the Sunday paper at the Globe was very large. I had about six sections under me. So it was a, it was a pretty big job and um, um, that I did for 10 years. Um, and then the the, I had done some freelance food writing all the way through. I'd always been interested in, in cooking and did a lot of cooking. Uh, and um, the, the then the restaurant critic was retiring. So I was asked if I'd be interested in doing that. So I took a sideways move. I mean, I moved from management back into, into the union. Um, but it gave me a, a new career and, and really a, a very expansive uh, uh, one. Mm. I did uh, both writing about food um, of all kinds, a lot of restaurant interviews, and then also um, reviewing once a week. Uh, The world of reviewing restaurants then was expanding because it was sort of the beginning of celebrity chefdom and and uh, suddenly everybody wanted to know where to go and who these people were and how they got there. Mm. Um, so it was a good time to do that. And I did that for 15 years wow. at the Globe. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. What's the process like when you, you know, from the time you hear about a restaurant or how do you choose the restaurants and then, you know, going to the restaurant, what's that like? Yeah, um, I had a, a routine. I mean, it, beca- it was a routine, a job like all kinds of other jobs. Um, I would go to restaurants twice uh, at the New York Times. Maybe they still, well, now they don't, but critics would go multiple, multiple times, but because of budgets, I would go twice. I would take three, at least three other people with me. I had a rotation where I would start a restaurant one week and then finish it a couple weeks later, right before I was going to do the review. I would um, talk to the chef or owner right before the review on the phone. Um, I would not take notes at the table, which people always ask about, <laughs> but, um, 
so I would finish, you know, sometimes reviewing in in Cambridge or or Newton or somewhere, and then come home, drive home, and then take an hour, do an hour doing notes. And so it was it was um, pretty intensive, and you had to do that in order to have enough to write about. I mean, you really it was a job that you had to pay a, a lot of attention, notice a lot of details. Um, and yet it was reporting. I mean, it was who, what, why, when, and where, mm-hmm. with a lot of um, emphasis on the why and the how. It's always fascinating. Um, the, and sometimes the restaurants that weren't so good were the most fascinating to write about. The reviews that were not complimentary were the ones that got the most reaction, always. Mm. <laughs> people, people would... Uh, in those days, send send emails or um, or even phone calls about things they didn't like or did like. Mm-hmm. Um, I concentrated on food and service, and with a little bit on ambience um, and sort of what else was happening in the restaurant. The I did not try to recreate the food, but I did try to be as knowledgeable as possible. And sometimes it took research if it was a Turkish restaurant or a Chinese restaurant. I would sometimes take people of that culture, although sometimes I would, sometimes that didn't work out. Mm. A lot of my diners were very young reporters because Mm -hmm. they were always willing to go out on the Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had two young children. And so I went out during the week. I tried not to do much on weekends because that was family time and soccer games and right. that kind of thing. So that sounds like everybody at the restaurant knew you were coming before. No. Oh, they don't they know. Not know. Oh, no. I see. Okay. I made uh, reservations usually under my husband's name, mm. sometimes a fake name. Um, I did not identify myself. I interviewed restaurant people, but only after I reviewed them. So I did not go to any dinners, any previews, any charities for 15 years, I didn't, mm. I, I would talk to people on the phone. Uh, some chefs I really liked, but um, I did not become a friend of anyone until I left. Mm-hmm. Probably so, a good idea. Yeah. You had to do that. I, journalism altogether has changed a little bit mm. in the years since I, I left it. But then you were trying to be anonymous as mm. much as possible. Not that they didn't know after a while. You know, people did did know. Supposedly, there were fo- my photos in kitchens. But mm-hmm. once you walked into a restaurant, they didn't. They couldn't change the menu. They couldn't change the people cooking. So it worked out all right. Mm. At least it did for fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> sounds honest, an honest way. <laughs> Trying to be. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like you don't do so much of critiquing of restaurants at this point um, in your no. career. Yeah, and I looked through some of your your more recent work, and it looks like you work writing about food and agriculture almost, and yes. different nonprofits in the community. Um, mm-hmm. Is that something you enjoy doing, or something? Uh, yes, um, as part of food uh, food reporting for the Globe, I always did a lot of things on agriculture. Um, the um, on the local food movement. I'm from Kansas. And um, I come from an agricultural background, not uh, my father's family was farmed, but um, 
and it's always been an interest of mine. Much different farming situation there than here, but mm -hmm. but even so, it's um, I think it's really really important. I think the Northeast, which has a climate that doesn't lend itself to agriculture year round, even so has a really vibrant uh, agricultural community, and it really makes a big difference. Um, in the way people view food in the mm. Northeast. So I know the last few months have put a special emphasis on um, gardening. A lot of people are gardening right now, cooking, and other kind of home hobbies like beekeeping and canning. I've, I've checked out tons of books about these different kinds of things that you can do at home recently. Mm -hmm. Have you been noticing this in your, your own work or oh, in your own life? Uh, yeah, very much so. I mean, I've always cooked and baked, so mm. it's that actually... I'm really interested in all the people who've taken up bread baking, but I find myself just doing, I mean, I made a loaf, I made a batch of bread today that I'll finish up tonight. So I, I haven't really changed a lot in that way. Mm -hmm. And gardening, I've always done rather unsuccessfully, but mm -hmm. again, this year was some success, some failures. <laughs> it was good. very dry. Mm -hmm. What about yourself? Are you doing more cooking? Yeah, well, I would say about the same, but we definitely, we recently moved to Beverly. We were living in Somerville before, so we have a little bit more space to do some bigger gardens, which has been really nice. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. How was your writing change since the pandemic began? So what kinds of things are you focused on now? I don't know that my writing itself has changed so much. Um, I teach a class in food writing for Harvard Extension, and uh uh, I, the last one I taught, and, I, and again, I'll teach it this time in winter to, to spring. The, they call it the spring semester, but it starts in January. So, mm. so right in the middle of that, uh, we had a, our on-campus weekend where people can go out. I have them go out and interview and do a lot of things like that. And then after that, it's online anyway. So that wasn't so different compared to other teachers who had to suddenly go online altogether. Right. But suddenly um, the whole curriculum had to change because a big segment of that is restaurant critiquing and there were no restaurants open. Mm -hmm. And people did, a, we did a, a variation of that. Uh, so that really changed. I found that the biggest change for me was just suddenly trying to get uh, 18 people uh, from all over the country engaged in, in projects that were really more on food, journalism, food uh, issues, mm -hmm. which I stress anyway, but that I think has, has become ever more important, I think, in, in journalism. Um, when I first started doing agricultural sort of topics for the globe, you know, it was considered kind of not important. I mean, who cares about agriculture in, you know, in Boston? Uh, in the high tech hub and so forth. But now people pay a lot more attention to that sort of mm -hmm. thing. For the globe, I've done stories on, I did one on uh, farmers, how farmers markets were, were changing and also food delivery. I did a piece that will run in, in the fall issue of Edible Boston. It should be out, I think in early October, that's on, again, on the farmers markets and, and on the HIP program. HIP is a, is a, uh, have you ever heard of HIP? No. Do you know? mm. HIP is um, a Massachusetts program that 
uh, gives people who are on SNAP, which is the Supplemental uh, Nutritional Assistance Program of the USDA, um, if you have you get a HIP program, you go only to farmers markets or farm stands. It has to be farm related, and you get um, the amount you spend back on your SNAP card. Cool. So basically, you're getting fruit and vegetables, local fruit and vegetables, free. And it's been really. It started in it started in 217, but actually rolled out in 218. And it's been I've written about it for various for the Globe for Edible Boston mm-hmm. before. It's um, been extremely successful. The first year they had so much money allotted for it for the first year, and they used it up in a month and a half, and they wow. had to issue more. So issues like that that are really about um, nutrition for people who otherwise are in either in food deserts or are food insecure, mm-hmm. I think or will be the next, <laughs> at least the next year, maybe longer, maybe who knows how long, uh, really things that food journalists need to concentrate on. Mm. Yes, eating wonderful meals and food memories are, are, are very precious, but feeding people in the United States where there should be enough to eat for everyone is even more important. Right. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't know about that program, but I wonder if it's connected to kind of the rise of farmers markets in general and farming. Well, it's a, as, as the, he's got a title that isn't like agriculture commissioner, but the person who oversees that in, in Massachusetts says it's a double win. I mean, mm-hmm. it helps people who need food and it also helps. Uh, farmers. Uh, what about farms in our area? Are there any in the Swampska, Marblehead, you know, kind of around? Area? Well, not much room. Mm-hmm. I mean, there. if you consider fishermen to be farmers, there definitely are, are farmers, are lobstermen. Um, there is a small farm in Salem, Maitland Mountain, mm-hmm. tiny little thing, but then a lot of farms in, in this area are small. Beverly definitely has some. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danvers, uh, Connors, and um, Clark are in Danvers, and then farther north, there there are plenty of farms. Um, a lot of the ones that go to the farmers markets, I go to both local farmers markets almost every week. And it's so sad when it gets too cold to, and they close. But mm-hmm. um, do you try to eat seasonally as well? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I we are not vegetarian at all, but. Uh, in fact, <laughs> when I started uh, reviewing, I must have written a lot about vegetables since someone decided that I was vegetarian. I kept uh-huh. being asked, Aren't, how can you be a restaurant critic if you're vegetarian? I, said, I am not vegetarian. <laughs> but So that's seasonal. Uh, I try not to buy things out of season. Definitely not strawberries in the winter or I grow raspberries. I never, I've stopped ever buying raspberries. So they're definitely seasonal because you can hardly get them home from the grocery before they're gone. So mm. unless sometimes at the farmer's markets. How have you been approaching eating out at this time? Are you eating out or at uh, all? Well, we have gone out very minimally uh, outdoors. Mm-hmm. I'm not ready to go indoors yet, even no. though I think restaurants are being very careful and I'm not, I do not think that restaurant owners are taking this lightly or, or putting their patrons in danger. But 
you know, I, even if you're not worried about yourself, you're worried about other people and, and also about closing things down again. I mean, that's almost worse. I look at places like Linfield that suddenly somebody had parties and some, or something like that. And suddenly mm -hmm. the school can't, oh, the schools can't open. It makes no sense really to endanger other people when it just means there's, you know, we'll get, be in this longer. Right. In more normal times or before the pandemic, what kinds of either restaurants or, or different types of food news were you excited about in, uh, on the North Shore? On the North Shore. Or anywhere. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, on the North Shore, I, you know, the, it's the restaurant scene kind of edges forward and back a little bit all the time, I find. Um, Frank and Beverly is an exciting thing. I, mm -hmm. I mean, I think he'll make it. He's a he's a very good restaurant restaurateur. Um, the space is gorgeous. I've been there to eat outside. Lynn is kind of exciting. Uh, it's always a little bit of a question about whether or not Lynn <laughs> Lynn's Lynn's had renaissances about I don't know how many times since we have lived up here. So mm -hmm. we'll see. But um, Nightshade Noodle is she's she's a great chef. She's really good. We'll see what she does. Mm. Um, I did this story, you probably looked at that one, the story about the th well, four women in, in uh, Lynn, she was yeah. one of them, in Uncommon Feast, that's a very lovely job, mm -hmm. um, and then I actually wrote about the woman on Union Street without actually having gone there, but um, I think she and her, it sounds like she and her family know what they're doing, she has an accounting background and they own the building, which is Mm -hmm. major right probably now. important yeah 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 I wanted to ask you about that do you think that more women are are getting into the food industry or restaurant industry as sort of owners or well in right before I uh left the globe so that was in 207 I think or so I wrote a story about how different Boston was because there were more women restaurateurs here than say in New York or Chicago Mm -hmm. And that is it proved to be even, I mean, there's been another story or so written since then on the same topic. Right. Um, and the reasons that, that I found then, or that people told me then, were because there had been some supportive women, uh, Jody Adams, Michaela Larson, um, Barbara Lynch, but also because it, the financial system situation and all kinds of things weren't as dire or as dicey here as they were in in new york say mm -hmm. but I, it's still it's a hard business for anyone really hard business and it's it's hard for women still because of family right because figuring out how you do that mm -hmm. someone like uh jody adams who has two grown children her husband didn't work while she owned restaurants. Jody Adams owns trade and, and um, I forget the name of the one in the South End. But anyway, she owns about three restaurants. And he, he was home with, well, I mean, she was too, but he was home with the children. So you, you really have to have some way to balance what you're doing. Cause, because the, uh, having worked nights for years, uh, <laughs> you can't be two places at once. And if you're right. on the, you know, you're in the kitchen or on the floor at eight o'clock at night when the kids need to go to bed, somebody has to do it. Mm. 
And those seem like all consuming kind of jobs, like where, where you'd have to be there yeah. all, not, all day. It's not 40 hours a week. Right. Not at all. So I know you mentioned that you teach at the Harvard Extension School. How did that come about? And what's it like to pivot to teaching or, you know? Uh, it was the year of all the snow, <laughs> whatever year that was, 215. Right. A friend of mine had kind of ended up with this class because someone else had started it and then she had moved on. And um, she asked me if I wanted to teach it with her. So I did that for a semester. And then she had another business and couldn't do it the next year. So in, we kind of did it back and forth. She, again, taught with me one semester. But I, I ended up with a class. And unfortunately, next semester, I can't do what, what I did the last four years or so, which is to have a, this weekend at Harvard. Mm where people who take these classes uh, come from Florida. And this year I had people from Ohio and Michigan and uh, Hawaii and uh, California uh, come to the campus and they, you know, they can do all kinds of things together and also go out and interview people. And this year it's going to be, or next year, it's going to be all online. So they'll still have to do the same thing. <laughs> and I enjoy teaching. It's scary, I find, mm -hmm. but I enjoy it. And I, I do um, emphasize that food journalism is, not, is much broader and wider and gives you more um, experiences in journalism than was once possible in that media. Yeah. Mm. It's my, I mean, I stress a lot the issues part of it and that you are going to learn to interview people and it, it is not just writing about what your mother made at home. You know, it's, it, that was once food journalism was really maybe restaurants and then otherwise a kind of a narrow view of women's work, mm -hmm. which is what it was then. Yeah. But from what you were saying before, it sounds like food is sort of part of this bigger, a big part of our society. I mean, it's always yes. been a big part, but more um, at this moment, it seems to be more important. I, I think so. Mm -hmm. I think it always should have been and is now, definitely. Mm -hmm. So I wonder about is, if something that you teach is about how to establish a vocabulary around food. I mean, I wouldn't know how to describe something. <laughs> we, we do a lot of that. Uh, yes, we do a lot of, um, uh, one of the things I did in the intensive was bring uh, scones in and then people had to describe. But we do a whole segment or, uh, on adjectives, mm -hmm. <laughs> how you describe food, which the, when I took over the reviewing, the, the Bob Levy, who just recently died, told me that was the hardest part. The adjectives were the hardest part. Mm -hmm. okay. And he was right. <laughs> what are some other big topics? I mean, I know it's a, probably a, a long course and very involved, but what are some other like overviews of topics? Um, well, we, to do, we do a segment, and again, I think it'll expand on, on the classics. A lot of students have never really read some of the, the classic writers. Some of them cookbook writers like James Beard or Julia Child, or, but also some um, MFK Fisher, mm -hmm. who wrote about food, but it wasn't, although she would have recipes, it wasn't the kind of writing that you would expect from a food writer. Even some people like Bobby Ann Mason, who is a short story writer, but has some of the quotes. She has, a, she wrote a thing for a magazine about 
what she remembered from home and she she does this long segment about how she was playing she was playing with her dolls while her mother and grandmother talked about whatever they were canning or something and um she was all interested in little women and and they were discussing the best ways to seal the jars or something and she finally turned around and said can't you ever talk about anything but food <laughs> and her grandmother said looked at her and said what else is there <laughs> so those kinds of things i think are important for students and we work with the best food writing of the it'll be the best food writing of 220 and those have there are lots of different kinds of authors and some of it is uh, more literary and some is more uh, a science which is a big thing in food writing now especially the male food writing <laughs> community mm -hmm. is big on science doing 40 tests of the best way to smash a burger you know all of which i find a little reductive but people love it so <laughs> <laughs> do you cook from cookbooks or use cookbooks i use cookbooks all the time yeah I mean, I, there are lots of things I know how to do that I don't need right. cookbook for, but I use cookbook. In fact, I'm a judge in a cookbook contest. Uh, have you ever heard of Let's Talk About Food? No. A woman named Louisa Kasdan, who's a longtime food writer in Boston, started this. And Annie Copps, also a food writer and a, and a chef, um, started this organization years ago. And there's, um, for the list, must be the fifth year maybe at least uh, there's been a cookbook contest and usually there's the judging is done in the spring and then there's an event in june but of course this didn't happen this year so right. i have all these cookbooks i haven't really looked at yet but i'll show you a couple because you may have them already but these are the ones that i think are going to be the uh, <laughs> they're very heavy you get all these cookbooks uh all about dinner Molly Stevens, she did the braising and the roasting books. Oh, nice. She is, they all have to be uh, New England related, and she is from Maine, I think. And it's good, simple, but but she she's a very good recipe writer. Mm. That's the other thing we do in the class. We do recipes, too. This woman is a scholar, uh, Dara Goldstein. Beyond, mm. And I haven't looked at it at all. It's about Russia, Russia and recipes and lore um she is i think she at smith she's somewhere in the western part of the state mm -hmm. this of course is joanne chang who everybody knows by now and, oh, yeah. that's and i haven't really looked at that yet but uh, you know anything she does is fantastic pastry love <laughs> yeah cool. it's nice so i think that'll be um and then this one is is good and i love the name um I don't know if it's going to be a big cookbook for the year, but I just love the whole idea. Rage baking. I've seen that at the library. We definitely have that one. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's an interesting thing to look at. And then there are a lot that are just almost like little pamphlets um, uh, because it can be any, anyone who's published in New England or has a New England connection. So a lot of not self-published exactly, but small publishing places send in books. That's cool. Various kinds. Do you try to make a recipe from each or just... Various people do. I do some. T I do, but I'm not real religious about it. I think there, <laughs> there are a few other, uh, it's, or I mean, a dozen at least judges. And I think some are more are very careful to do that. 
Mm. I'm sometimes I am not not completely though. My qualification would be a picture and next to the recipe, <laughs> so I can see what it's supposed yeah. to look like. <laughs> yeah, well, that's harder to get these days <laughs> because of, as you know, publishers mm -hmm. don't have the money. Right. What about classic cookbooks that you you own that you just wouldn't give up? That I use all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I use um, I use uh, James Beard. American cookery, which is what I, I haven't so much lately, but I gave, I used to give it all the time to people who got married. Mm -hmm. I have some favorites that are kind of uh, specialized, like uh, Delicioso, a uh, Spanish cookbook. Um, uh, I use Nina Simon, who's from Salem, her China Express. I, I think she's a really good recipe writer and she, and it's fairly easy, able to find mm -hmm. Chinese uh, ingredients. I have some Mexican cookbooks that I really, really like, uh, mm -hmm. authentic Mexican. And, and then uh, Cheryl Julian, who food writer for The Globe and who was my editor for years, has a book that she and her then writer wrote. And, and I use it a lot. I use some magazine mm -hmm. magazine like Food and Wine and Bon Appetit tend to be like 12 more ingredients than you really need. So I don't use that as much, although I sometimes, I certainly get those magazines and look at them. I do sometimes Google things, but I don't usually take any recipe unless I, it's from Epicurus or uh, Food and Wine or somewhere that I, New York Times. I mm -hmm. use some New York Times. I, I really like um, the um, Melissa Clark. She's quite a good recipe writer and writes interesting leads. Mm, Do you ever use her? Have you ever used her? I don't think so. No. Yeah. She has some books too, but um, but her she writes regularly for the Times. Time. She's one of their regular writers. Hmm. I've been getting a newsletter from the Boston Globe food writer. I think her name is oh, Deborah. Deborah. Deborah first. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not really sure how I got subscribed to it, but I start, just happened to come upon it in my email inbox one day, and it was. She does a good job, I think. She's got a good sense of humor and... Yeah, she's a, she has a good sense, of, a lot of wit to her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's doing a lot more of that and very little, well now, no, no real reviewing, but very little reviewing, which is sort of what's going to happen, mm. unfortunately, because newspapers don't have money for... Right. It's expensive to have uh, critics, it really is. Because you, you you had everything paid for. You don't. The restaurant is not paying for your food. You the the paper is paying for your food. So, right, it's a big expense. Mm. And it sounds like multiple people are involved. It's not just one. Yeah, solo yeah. diner. Mm. No, <laughs> which would be <laughs> that would be odd. Yeah. You might be noticed that way. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for all these cookbook recommendations. I'm definitely going to post them in the description so that you know, people, and maybe a link to where we have them in the, our own library yeah. catalog so people can check them out. Yeah. Let me ask you some questions about sure. how do people check out cookbooks a lot? They do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not so often right now, just because um, I would say only the newer ones go out at this point, mm -hmm. but we do have a huge collection of cookbooks at the library that, you know, in more normal times when people are coming in and out of the building, it's sort of one of the main points of the library. So mm -hmm. that area gets a lot of use, I would say. Yeah, one of my sisters is a librarian, so mm. she she said that in the many libraries she worked at, um, worked in or ran, cookbooks would go out immediately. Mm -hmm. New ones. I check them out occasionally if there's something 
that I'd like to look at, but then I, it's sort of almost like a test to see if I would buy it myself just because it's hard to cook. Uh-huh. I mean, it's something you want to have for a long time, I think, and not just a couple yeah. couple weeks, but it's a good, yeah. definitely a good way to test out different, different cookbooks. I find um, even my own kids tend, uh, well, my son-in-law buys a lot of cookbooks and he's also a librarian, but uh, that people, younger people often don't buy cookbooks anymore. Mm-hmm. That they do everything on online. I mean, they yes. read it on the phone. You know, they read everything on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, my son who cooks a lot, I always think he needs more cookbooks and mm-hmm. <laughs> Googling things. It's, they make it easy just to Google, you know, what you have in your fridge, three ingredients yeah. in your fridge, and then they pull up a recipe from a blog. <laughs> yeah. That definitely makes it easier. Mm-hmm. I, I still use cookbooks and I like them. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. uh, something tactile about them. Right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Great. I enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. I hope you have a good day. Thank you. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye. Bye.